Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 63 of Inside AgriTurf. In this episode, I'm going to look further at the future of the dealership, uh, as discussed by the panel in episode 61. Might we see so-called disruptors upset the long-established balance of this industry? And every business will surely be looking at additional revenue streams in these uncertain times. So what about dealers diversifying into other sales opportunities? In a minute, I'll be talking to Max Pierce, who has just taken that step. But first, you know, I once sat in an industry conference at which a manufacturer got up and said, tongue-in-cheek, I think, you know, it takes years of planning for the introduction of new products. We meet all the regulatory requirements, spend megabucks on research and development, even more on tooling up to manufacture, producing prototypes, test and more testing, and eventually go into full production. At which point, we lose control of our senses and pass them over to others to sell for us. That's the way it's always been. Manufacturers make products, dealers sell them, provide the backup, and of course, take the flak. Anecdotally, I understand that a leading Japanese manufacturer, when setting up its wholly owned subsidiary in the UK some years ago, first did some calculations on what it would cost to do without a dealer network. It very quickly discovered that the costs, not to mention the logistics, would be eye-wateringly prohibitive. But today, the way products come to market is changing and the way people buy or use services is also undergoing significant change. Can we be sure that the business model that we use now will be in place in 5, 10, 15 years? We've seen the dawn of the disruptors. Amazon has changed the way we buy products. Apple and Spotify, the way we listen to music. Netflix, the way we watch films. Airbnb, the way we book accommodation. Uber, the way we travel, and so on. No industry is immune. Look at the way that Kazoo, set up in 2018 by British internet entrepreneur Alex Chesterman, and Cinch, owned by British car auctions, have disrupted the second-hand car trade. You know, people talked about buying things online when the internet boom started more than 20 years ago. But nothing much happened at first. Retailers were relaxed. It didn't cause them too many problems. Initially, people were still sending money with them, but today, online is the norm for many and it has happened in less than a decade. Demand for used cars will not fall. Instead, customers will be tempted to spend their money with companies such as Cinch and Kazoo, who have raised a shed full of money to promote their brands and do offer an attractive package. However, many car dealers are looking at the way the new disruptors operate and starting to copy some of their tactics. And what about our industry? The profile of the dealer network continues to polarise, especially in the agricultural machinery sector. Uh, yet this is how Izeki MD David Withers saw it evolving in episode 61 of Inside AgriTurf. Well, I, th- I think it is going to split, to be honest. I think you're going to have the, uh, the, the longliners, if you like, who are going to become more and more single brand. Not, I'm not saying 100%, but I think... You know, it's clearly the ambition of those big manufacturers to sort of leverage their position. If you think about it, if you've got to manage 10 dealers and you're going to put 100 million through those 10 dealers, it doesn't cost you any more. If you can put 200 million through those dealers, you're still going to cost you the same amount to manage them, if you like. Your, your, your sales and marketing spend doesn't change that much. 
So you can see the attraction that if you've got a very strong brand and a very strong dealer network, to keep broadening your range, either through acquisition or through organic development, is a very attractive thing to do. So I can imagine that you almost get a split where you've got the long line, de- long line manufacturers who are tie- going to be tied in more and more with these long line dealers. And then you're going to have the others who are going to be a little bit more niche, um, maybe are not going to serve all markets. They're going to pick the markets that they do serve. And uh, and I think you're just going to see a, a split, if you like, between one or the other. You're, you're either going to be a long liner or you're going to be a more of a niche player with perhaps multiple franchises. So that's how the Ag Machinery dealer network might shape out. What about the garden and turf care dealers who are much less reliant on key long line brands? Most dealers hold a mix of franchises but their product portfolio has changed out of all recognition in a relatively short time. In the domestic sector, electric corded machines long dominated the UK market, mainly at the bottom end, which is now dominated by mass retailers and online and increasingly of less interest to specialist dealers. Battery power has been around a long time, but environmentally it now has the wind behind it. Concerns over higher cost and runtime issues are being addressed as sales and production is ramped up. It is inevitable that battery will largely replace many of the fossil-fueled machines in the future, which have long been the industry's bread and butter. Robots are gradually growing from niche and novelty to mainstream. There are almost 30 manufacturers now worldwide, and the market is growing by double-digit amounts every year. And all this shift in product types has already changed the way that dealers sell and service machines. And the way dealers adapt to change will define their role and ultimately their future. And now, more challenges are on the horizon due to the conflict in Ukraine, just at a time when the industrial world is trying to make up for lost time during the pandemic. We know from their sterling efforts and enterprising resourcefulness during the pandemic that many small, mostly family-owned companies can act quicker and more decisively than major organisations. The size and thus the potential returns probably do not make our relatively small industry attractive to massive disruption. Except, uh, do look at how a vacuum cleaner manufacturer has grabbed a major slice of the battery mower market. So as the generation groups evolve, uh, Generation Z morphs into Generation Y or whatever, there is no doubt that amongst the younger groups, there is less interest in owning stuff. It's all about the use of products, not the ownership. All of which is highly relevant to my guest today, Max Pierce. Diversification is a much debated subject. How can you, for instance, be a specialist dealer and dilute your business by possibly taking your eye off the ball and moving into other product groups? That said, in these potentially turbulent times, finding other revenue streams will be exercising the minds of many companies, as long as they are a good fit with their core business. Now, Max's business fits the category of using, not owning things, for he runs a successful hire business, XL Plant Hire in Southampton. And last year came the opportunity to buy a local sales and service dealership, Kingsworthy Garden Machinery. So, Max, thanks for joining me. Uh, Tell me first, is this a family business? It is, yeah. So my, um, my father started the company in 2004. Um, he had a long background of 
hire. He sort of grew up in a, you know an apprenticeship side of things. He sort of worked his way through the ranks. He worked for a company called Selwoods, um, which is which everyone sort of knows in the hierarchy, which is actually weird enough where XL comes from. It's X Selwoods, <laughs> and it was obviously X Selwoods um, managers and employees. So I sort of left school and joined the company straight away. I was, and again, I sort of worked my way through. I started off in the yard, sweeping the yard up, and I went to do an electrical testing side of things. And then I learned everything I've learned through, you know, through throughout my whole career has all been self-taught. So, you know, I, all the mechanics side of things, I sort of taught myself. On and the you way. joined the business at an early age? I was 17 years old. Yes, 17. I, was, I literally, I left school. I think I left school on the Friday and started at Excel on the Monday morning, either Monday or Tuesday morning. It was, you know, it, there wasn't an option of sitting around and doing anything. I, I wanted to get stuck in and I wanted to get, you know, so you learned the back business on from the ground up. You, you learned the yes. business from the ground up very much. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and when so, was this, uh, Max? What, what? Uh, I joined in 2007. Yes, 2007 I joined. Uh, and and your father, um, he continued to run the business. So he ran the company up until I think it was 2014, um, and he had become quite ill. Um, and he ended up in hospital. He was uh, at work on the Friday, and then went home Friday night, and then never stepped foot inside the building for nine months. And he had um, went into he had a series of heart attacks and then inflammation of the heart, and it sort of took him out of the company completely. It was you know he had to forced him out, if you like. At that time, I'd never done any of the accounting side of things in the business. I'd done the day-to-day running, dealing with the customers, dealing with the mechanics side of things, but I'd never done, you know, the the actual background behind it, you know, dealing with the, the, the different finances and stuff in another company. So I, I had to learn pretty quickly, and I did. Luckily, I, I I did learn pretty quickly, and I sort of carried on pushing my way through it and growing up through the ranks and sort of going from there. And then in 2000, 2018, my dad took a step back completely from the company. He sort of said, you know, I, I want to go into a bit of an early retirement and focus on getting my health back to where it needs to be. So he stepped out completely. And then in 2020, I completed on buying him out of the company. He wanted to go off and seek a different venture in life and all that side of things. So I sort of said, well, you know, now maybe is the right time for me to take over completely and make it my own and put my own stamp on things. And that sort of brings us to where we are now and in the new era of so, so 2020, that was an interesting year. We were, I guess, a lot of that in lockdown. Were you able to trade during that period? So 2020 was a huge whirlwind for me. I started the year off in February. I sort of We sat down and had negotiations with my dad that I was going to buy the company off him. Um, my younger brother sadly, sadly passed away on the 28th of February. So he passed away on the 28th of February. At the same time, I was in negotiations with signing over the whole company to myself my dad then went into having another heart attack and ended up in hospital so his health started to deteriorate again um then went into lockdown at the same time i had all of this going on i'd agreed a deal with kubota to take deliver 25 machines and they came two weeks into lockdown and you know i, I went into it and i was i was very nervous you know, I was at the stage where i was you know had i made a huge mistake ordering all these machines was it going to be was i seeing the end of the company before i'd even sort of really seen the start of taking over we adjusted the way we done things. We focused a lot on the domestic hire rather than the building trade and the you know the commercial trade of it. And I don't know, I don't know what happened. It just it just went crazy. It just went unbelievably busy. And I think we saw this new era of people doing their own home DIY, doing their own gardens, and it just sort of sparked this whole this whole new era that we'd never seen in the industry before. Interesting. And tell me, as far as the hire company is concerned, um, what's your customer profile? Who, who do you tend to deal with? 
And uh, what what sort of kit have you got? So I I weird enough I divide the hire company into two sections. So we have this another probably a story for another day. We deal hugely in the cruise ship industry. So one sector of our customer is the cruise ship industry. Now we provide anything from a paintbrush all the way up to a five hundred ton crane for the cruise sector. And we've done this since I since I very first started the company. We actually signed the contract over. Um, so we have that side of it, which is a very commercial, you know, it's all we deal with is cruise ship side of things. And on the plant side of things, which is, you know, your, your general diggers, dumpers, diggers, dumpers, wood chippers, stump grinders. We go from domestic clients to all the way up to commercial. Um, we do a lot of council work. We do, you know, all of that sort of side of things. Kit wise, we run everything from a small hand drill now all the way up to a nine ton digger. Um yeah. Any, anything and everything in between, if you like. And, and one of the reasons why we're talking is that um, I understand, well, just about a year ago or coming on for a year ago, you, you bought a guard machinery business. How did uh, yeah. that come about? So, uh, <laughs> um, for our Excel's sort of history, we'd always, always sort of touched in and out of doing a little bit of servicing. And it just sort of fell naturally into the company. We were the guys that had all the machinery. So people come to us for knowledge and know-how. And over the years, we just naturally people had people bringing, you know, turf cutters in with us. Oh, you wouldn't have a look at my lawnmower. My lawnmower was not running right. Would you have a look at my lawnmower for me? So it sort of fell into that sort of side of things. At the time, I was looking for a new depot to open in Winchester. A few other higher companies in the industry had dropped out of the industry due to COVID and there was sort of a, a big hole in the market in the Winchester area. So that was sort of what started my my sort of quest to find a new building. And like everyone does, everyone kind of knows everyone in the industry. I sort of started asking around and I got word that there was a guard machinery company that may possibly be looking to close down or, you know, something along those lines. Within, I think it was within seven days, we'd agreed a figure. I'd agree to take all the staff on. We'd agree to take all, all the vans over. We'd agree to take everything. We took all the clients, all the dealerships, everything over, all in one go. And that's sort of where the KGM, you know, the, the King's Over Guard Machinery sort of new era started. It, just something about it just excited me. It was, it was a new challenge for me. It was a new challenge, and I liked the idea of it. Was there any moment when you thought, oh, gosh, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the very start, I, you know, I sort of went into it and um. So, so KGM is very, they're probably sort of, I'd say 70-30 split on the commercial side of things, the domestic side of it. And when I first come in here, I, I walked into the workshop and it was just like, you know, there was these machines inside the workshop. I'd never seen, I'd never even heard of these machines before. Never let even known how to start them, run them, use them, anything. It was, you know, it was really quite daunting going into it. And I sort of questioned, you know, have I taken more on, you know, bitten off more than I can chew? And I feel like anything within a couple of months, we'd sort of settled ourselves into how we were going to do things and, you know, how we could how we could help benefit the company and move it along, you know, and sort of progress it forward. And here we are, it's, you know, we're did, busier than ever. Did you did you have any equipment that would be classified as garden, even high end garden or ARB uh, kit within the hire company? Yeah. So we had a series of um, we, we sort of we, we always had turf cutters, rotavators. Um, we had a couple of like push mowers and stuff, but nothing too too extreme on the on the lawn care side of things. We did have a lot of turf. We had scarifiers, stump grinders. We we were heavily involved in the chipper side of things, wood chippers. Again, on a commercial tree surgery side of it, all the way down to domestic clients on the smaller chippers, just wanting to cut trees down in their gardens and 
you know, make use of not paying for skips and getting rid of the work that way. So that kind of what crossed me over to the guard machinery side of it. I kind of saw the appeal that we are forever repairing guard machinery equipment. So all of my customers owned guard machinery equipment. And I was at the stage where I went, well, why, why aren't we providing them with everything? Why aren't we doing the hire? Why aren't we doing the sales? Why aren't we doing the servicing? And that's why the KGM side of it, it just, it just fit in so well with what we were doing. Indeed. Were there any franchises that were common to both companies? Uh, a couple. We had, um, I think we had, we had Trackmaster Cayman. Um, Trackmaster Cayman. Well, I dealt before with Husqvarna. Um, I dealt with Husqvarna on the construction side of it. We don't deal with it on the, on the KGM side of things, but obviously there's customers and people that I knew um, throughout the industry that kind of crossed over. But as far as they go, it was, you know, it's completely new to me going into this sort of side of things. So, And, we're, and Max, where uh, Kingsworthy Garden Machinery, were they ever in the business of hiring machines, even on an ad hoc basis? Uh, they had a few bits and bobs here, but nothing, nothing extreme. It was, uh, and it seems to be the more that I look at garden machinery companies, the more they all seem to have a few machines in there. They don't really push it hard. It's, it's no easy it's, it's it's not an easy feature trying to deal on the plant side of things and trying to do the higher side of things it's it's you know it, it's not the easiest thing in the world and i think a lot of guard machinery companies seem to dabble in the idea of having a few small tools you know a few lawnmowers maybe a turf cut or a scarifier and that's exactly what kgm had done you know they had over the over the few years they'd had a, a various bits and bobs they'd hired out but nothing nothing to really drive the higher side of it and, and and now I know you're only a few months into the acquisition, but um, have you got a sort of demarcation line where any higher inquiries now go through Excel and and, and yeah. handled by your paperwork, obviously system, which is yeah. very diff- which a lot of dealers, of course, really find very difficult. Uh, so we, uh, when I bought KGM, my idea was I always wanted to keep it in house. So we uh, we bought the company internally. So KGM is now a trading name of Excel Plant and Tool Hire. So we we could have the same access to everything. And we sort of said from day one that we took all the KGM customers and all the Excel customers. And when we sent a massive newsletter out and said, look, your account now covers both bases. So if you want to buy guard machinery, you come to us. You've still got your credit account. If you want to hire stuff from the guard machinery side of it, you have access to the hire. And I think by doing that, it just allowed you know, already we're seeing numerous amounts of hard equipment on golf courses and stuff like that. They never really have the options to access that equipment now. And we we offer quite a lot of specialist kit. So it just kind of worked well. Uh, and you are, essentially, you are essentially, Max, a, a local hire company. You're not an HSS or... or no, 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 we're not HSS. Or anything like that. You know, we, we are... We're a smaller independent. We we are a family company. You know, we are... We're growing. We're going from strength to strength each year. You know, we, we added... I think it was 37 diggers last year. And, you know, we seem to be going from strength to strength and we seem to be getting busier and busier. But my always my key focus was never to take us away from being that small, being that small, that smaller independent touch, that personal touch. When you phone up and it's people that you know at the end of the phone, rather than going through to a call centre and then being passed around with, oh, we'll phone you back and all sort of things. I've wanted it. I've always wanted to keep that. And that's exactly what I wanted to keep with the KGM side of things. And how many branches or depots do you have? So at the moment we have two. Yeah, we have two at the moment. So we've got a depot in Kerdridge, and obviously we've got the Winchester one. Which we uh, essentially, when I bought KGM, I said, "Look, uh, I sat down with the staff at KGM and said, look, we're going to move some hard equipment into here.' 
this is you're going to start seeing diggers and dumpers around from here. You're going to start seeing other bits and bobs coming in and out of this depot, but we're not going to take any of it away from you guys. You guys will essentially carry on as normal, but we're here to give you, we're here to give you the tools to grow and, you know, allow you to grow and allow you to go in, you know, in a, bit, in a different level. We, I can't say too much, but we are currently in the process of another depot at the moment. Um, more towards the Wiltshire rather than Hampshire sort of side of things. Um, so that'll be my next within the next sort of six months or so that should hopefully be live and, and that's and what just, will be next and just remind me i think you actually took over the business what was it in august last year was it uh, so august august last year we finalized the deal and then september the first we took over yes yeah, so the first september we took over and, and and since then max are there i mean you obviously go into it and uh w- with hopes and aspirations uh, but are there benefits that you've seen that you perhaps didn't realize at the outset Oh, definitely. Yes, hugely. I mean, uh, the higher side, the higher side of this benefited hugely. You know, the, the, the higher side has benefited, you know, greatly. Is uh, I think the ease of having one account to do everything has made it very appealing to people rather than, you know, you can send one email to one company and they will do your servicing, they do your sales, they also do your hire, they do your repair side of things, they do your on-site servicing. It's, it's just nice having that one hub that deal with everything for you. And I come into the KGM side of it, and I, I really, really enjoy it. I really enjoy getting involved in the sales side of things. I, I enjoy going out to site and seeing the stuff. It's, you know, we, so we're a Toro, we're a Toro dealer and a Toro service center. So we've been heavily involved in the Toro side of things, and I really wanted to focus on that when we come in. It was a, it was a brand that got me excited. You know, it was, it was an exciting brand. You know, they're a market leading brand that we got to be a part of. And yeah, I've sort of tried to do as much on-site visits and introducing myself to people. And I'm slowly learning more and more about the carbon machinery sector over the plant side of things. And it's, you know, it's, and so what in running a hire business, because obviously uh, in terms of dealerships, mostly are sales and service dealerships and not hire yeah. companies like yours. Yeah. What, what are the main challenges, day-to-day challenges, long-term challenges in, in running a hire business? Uh, is it the customers? <laughs> is it the kit? Uh, I, I, in all honesty, at the moment, the hardest thing we have is supply of equipment. So yeah. trying to get, I mean, everyone knows it's no its no secret at the moment. If you, you order something today, you're looking 12 months down the line before you take delivery of stuff. And at the moment, that is our biggest challenge. We uh, are constantly cross-hiring equipment in. We're constantly almost having to reserve ourselves. We, we're not running at 100% potential because we just don't have enough equipment at the moment. But if we order it today, we're looking 12 months down the line to order it. Yeah. You know, that, that's our biggest challenge at the moment is actually trying to source everything. Do, do, do you have a planned life for equipment? In, would you have done uh, before this supply problem? Normally, normally as a as a hire company, we try to move everything on every three to four years. We find that that's, that's a, good, a good age to move stuff along. We're at the stage now where we may have to keep things longer you know it's if we can't order the replacement equipment there's i there's no point me selling old equipment if i can't replace it with new and it's you know i i sort of have the ethos that if i if i sell one digger i've got to replace it with free and that's always my aim is to never sell to just replace it's always to to grow so we sell one we buy two or we sell one and we buy three yeah as, as we said earlier a lot of garden machinery dealers um Dabble in hire on an ad hoc basis, really as a service to their customers, should they yes. obviously yes. Uh, have a machine broken down or, or or want a specific machine for a specific uh, job. Would you have any sort of nuggets of advice for a, a mainly sales operation as 
King's, Kingsworthy Garden Machinery are uh, in handling hire. I mean, it is quite complex in terms of the paperwork that you need to do and the obligations and the safety obligations that you've got. Of course, yeah. Again, that's the hardest thing. It's, you know, it's getting yourself set up and getting yourself familiar with if you're going to do it, I would certainly start small. Don't go into it with, you know, it's, uh, we've all done the higher side of things. We've bought machinery before that we've, you know, we've spent 15, 20,000 pounds on a machine and then sat there looking at it in the yard for a month. It hasn't gone anywhere. And you sort of go, okay, now have we made a bad decision on that? And then all of a sudden, when people start to get to know that you've got that service, it starts to move forward. And that's going to be the same with any guard machinery company. If you, know, if you are looking to get into that small hire side of things, we all know the good brands and the good equipment that we go for and the equipment we push out on site. So it's, you know, you've got to have that good, reliable, good, reliable, clean equipment. You know, no one wants to turn up and it's an unreliable it doesn't set a good impression. You've got to have that good reliability side of things. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Max, we, we are, for all sorts of reasons, uh, we are dealing or businesses are operating in very uncertain times at the moment. So yeah, I, I presume, I mean, you mentioned uh, supply, um, but obviously there are other factors going on and there's a, the price of everything really is rocketing. Do, do you find that now it, you you it was a good decision that you made because obviously you've got two income streams coming into a central point, uh, both yeah. from sales and from hire. So uh, is it one of those strokes of, of luck that you look back on and say, oh, I'm glad it was in the right place at the right time? I, 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 I actually almost thank myself weekly that we were in the right place at the right time to, to, to make the acquisition. You know, it was it was a at the time it was a nerve wracking decision, but it is by far one of the best one of the best business decisions I ever made was buying that side of it. Uh, yeah all the way around not just you know uh, we obviously we've got the two lines of uh, revenue that come into the company now but it's it's nice having the two the two fronts of the company that we can see grow and progress and get bigger and bigger and bigger it's uh, the guard machinery side of it's very much like the plan hard side at the moment trying to get equipment is is very very difficult so we sort of said at the start of the year you know let's order rather than ordering the small amounts of what they sold last year, let's double the orders for this year and we'll double the orders the year after. I'd rather have more stock here. And if you've got it, you'll sell it. If yeah. you've got it here, you'll sell it. If you haven't got it, you can't sell it. So, you know, you, you've... You well, know, look, uh, we're on the on the cusp of, of the season, as we always call it. The daffodils are yeah. out, the grass is growing uh, and it's middle of March. And so uh, this will be your first, I guess, foray into, into the, the proper business. Yeah. So might I wish you... All the very best of luck, and uh, may much. the wind be home. You know, may you get as many machines as you you want. Although I, I, I do hope much, so. I do hope so. Doubt it. Max, can I thank you very much today? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So yeah, Max obviously regards the sales and service provision provided by Kingsworthy Guard Machinery as highly complementary to his existing plant hire business. So much so that he has allowed them to operate as one, as you heard. An added bonus is that seasonal cash flow variations, perhaps due to weather, are less impactful now on the business as a whole. And his now well-developed spin-off business of providing tools and equipment for cruise ships docked in Southampton is another example of finding a niche opportunity to provide extra revenue. So this will be Max's first full season as a garden machinery dealer, and I would hope to catch up with him, perhaps at the end of the year, to see what worked and perhaps what didn't. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. <laughs>